Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North. That's Russ Hodges. We're here to talk all things TCU sports. And the big news this week, it was the early signing day, um, first opening period where the commitments for the 2023 recruiting class could sign their letter of intent to join the Horn Frogs officially uh, for next season. And TCU got 23 players in that class. It is Really a phenomenal output for TCU. That one one of the best all time um, already signed for the Horn Frogs. Uh, exciting times ahead for for the Frogs, and we'll get into all of that. But first, Russ, how are we doing tonight? I'm uh, sitting here in my office, hoping my power doesn't go out. We got some low wind chill, uh, some snow that came through today, sub zero temperatures. Just trying to stay warm and. Uh, Things are cold up here, but recruiting is certainly heating up for for TCU, as as Gary used to say. So uh, excited to talk about it. And yeah, like you said, just a a historic class that TCU is putting together. And as Sonny Dyke said during the press conference, um, talking about the class itself, he said the expectation moving forward is to have a top 10, top 15 class every year. So uh, that's got to be really exciting to hear as a as a fan and um, excited to talk about. There's a lot of guys to, to talk about today. Yeah, for sure. It's cold down here in Texas, too. But um, yeah, recruiting fully on fire for the Horned Frogs. TCU sits at number 18 in the 24-7 composite ranking overall, um, a very definitive third in the Big 12 in future Big 12, one year of Big 12 behind just Texas and Oklahoma, which uh, puts TCU pretty far ahead of the new Big 12, uh, the Hateful Eight plus the new four. So um, TCU taking a big step forward, like we've talked about the last couple of weeks of taking that step to uh, sticking as kind of the, the permanent top dog in this, in this new future, um, in the big 12 going forward. So, um, really encouraging to see, and just to get into some of the, these guys who are joining us and, and I guess just to, to start us off happy Christmas week as well. So uh, happy holidays to everyone. Um, we'll try to keep this one short for you. So you can, you can catch this while you're getting your last minute gifts out there, your stocking stuffers. Um, so yeah, some some of these guys. So we the Horn Frogs signed nine four star recruits. Um, there is a tenth four star that is committed that's not yet signed. That's safety Warren Robertson. Um, but of these nine, Russ, who jumps off the page to to you first off? Yeah, just kind of going through the list here. We have Marcus Deal and Cordell Russell. These are two guys um, who rank at the the top of the class right now and two guys that Sonny Dykes talked about in the press conference uh, yesterday and said, have a real chance to play right away. Um, Cordell Russell, if you remember last year when Rashad samples and a few other SMU staffers came over to TCU along with Sonny Dykes, he was one of the first recruits um, along with Jordan Hudson and Chase Biddle that flipped from the Mustangs to the frogs when that staff change occurred. So Really cool to yeah, see. Yeah, I think him. he committed like day one. Yeah. I think he, he committed like the very next day after Dykes was announced yeah, I for, believe he for was the Frogs. the first recruit of this 23 class. Um, I know he he briefly decommitted, but he recommitted um, 
shortly after that. So it wasn't too much of a, a worry, but he's, I think he's a big time player. He's got great size for that position wide receiver. And then Marcus deal at, at six, four two ninety, I think has a frame to come in and play right away on the defensive line. Um, you're going to be losing some rotation guys. I think on the defensive line, obviously Dylan Horton is, is going to be done after this year. I don't believe he has any eligibility left. And then you're going to lose some rotation guys like, uh, Terrell Cooper and George Ellis guys who have been around for a long time. So you're going to need some players to, to step up and you're pretty solid at nose tackle with, um, Dominic Williams and time and Mitchell, but those other defensive linemen to round out that three, three, five, you got to see some guys develop and, and step up there. So Marcus deal, I think is going to have a chance to play right away. Um, Cordell Russell, I think, like Jordan Hudson this year has a chance to step in and, and get some reps right away. But um, just collectively, a lot of talent, Avion Carter, Randon Fontenet, Jamel Johnson, two four-star safeties that committed kind of late in the process. You have Cameron Cook, who's a four-star running back. Channing Canada is the number one Juco corner in the country. Um, Javion Wilcox and Max Carroll, those are two guys that actually were three stars and fairly recently got upgraded, got that bump up to, to four-star status. And that's uh, usually it goes the other way around with TCU players. When uh, highly ranked recruits commit, you see that number dip a little bit. But um, Max Carroll's an interesting player. He's been recruited as an athlete from, from Memphis, Tennessee, a bigger body at 6'3". Um, maybe they try to bulk him up and, and play him at linebacker. I'm not quite sure what the plan is for him, but uh, a big time athlete and just a lot of, a lot of really good talent in, in this class. This is the most four stars that TCU has had in a class ever. So if this can continue to be um, a consistent theme for, for TCU on a year to year basis and, like like I said, Sonny Dykes talked about top 10, top 15 type of class being the expectation going forward. It's it's a very good start for the future. Yeah, and I think just even just looking at these four stars, I mean, this really addresses some of the, the big things that we could see as weaknesses, perhaps on this current team and going forward with uh, potential losses after the season with running out of eligibility, like you said, the defensive line um, gets big upgrade with, with Marcus deal and Evian Carter. Um, I think, yeah, those guys are going to step right in and, and have a role to play right away. Um, the secondary guys coming in um, with, with Trey Tomlinson looking like he's going to forgo that, that last year of potential COVID eligibility. Um, there's going to be a lot of holes in that secondary next year to, to fill and a lot of uh, opportunities there. Um, the one that, you know, maybe just because it's easy to see highlights and I know running backs don't matter um, like people like to say, but man, watching Cameron cook uh, throughout this season, this, you know, since he's committed um, I'll, I'll catch his highlights pop up on, on Twitter or wherever uh, throughout the year. And, man, that's, he's really good. He's going to be, he's going to be somebody. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of reason to be really excited about what he will bring to this TCU offense at some point in the future. Um, 
All right. Anything else on, on these four stars before we move on to, to the next level, the, these three star guys where, you know, this is where TCU and, and even Sonny Dykes has kind of made the bread and butter of taking these guys three stars and under and turning them into NFL caliber, high major caliber, um, performers at the college level. Um, what do you see here? Yeah, you see guys that are playing a lot of different positions. You have uh, multiple offensive linemen with uh, guys like Cooper Powers, uh, Narado Stoker, and Breon Ramsey Brooks. They call him Big Bubba, uh, a big guard. I think he's about 360 pounds, 6'4", six, six, I think. The, the kind of player that you, you put into the strength and conditioning room with Kaz Kazadi, and you see what, you, what he can mold that kind of player into. Um, you have a couple edge rushers you have some defensive linemen Um, we'll talk about kind of the strengths and and weaknesses of this class in a little bit but you have a variety of players you have uh, a couple cornerbacks Vernon Glover um, an athlete and and Rohan Fluellen if that's I hope that's how you say his name if I butcher that I apologize Uh, Mason White who's a Juco corner pretty late in the in the process I don't think there was even a formal commitment it was just uh, visits with Kansas, TCU, Oregon State, and then signing day came, and a buddy of mine actually dropped a link in our Discord chat, and we got the news with, with Mason White. So a uh, nice little early stocking stuffer of, of TCU's own for the for the recruiting cycle. But you have a lot of positions that, that were addressed. You have a tight end, um, a, wide, a couple of wide receivers, obviously Cordell Russell, but also Jordan Bailey, who's a three-star and the younger brother of Amani Bailey. I think that was uh, part of the package deal when uh, when Amani transferred over to, to TCU. Um, the younger brother also committed and is going to roll through and ha- has a lot of speed and could potentially make a, an impact immediately in, on offense and in special teams. So um, a lot of players, obviously. And I think what's significant about this class right now is that this is early signing day. Uh, February 1st is national signing day. So there are some uncommitted players still out there, some guys in the portal who are still out there. But for TCU to sign 23 guys and one guy, Warren Roberson, still committed but not signed yet, um, that's a lot. That's a lot of heavy lifting that the staff has done in a, a fairly short period of time. So to, to sign that many players takes a lot of the pressure off as TCU goes through the remainder of this process. Um, we'll talk about a few of the guys that are still uncommitted or potentially still out there in the portal, but um, it's, this is a potent class. It's a potent class. It's versatile. You have a couple areas that are big strengths and, it's it's just a really solid class all around. Yeah, and I think you know something we've seen sometimes in the past with with TCU during this early recruiting period is you get maybe half of the class to sign early. You get maybe you know seventy percent at best of the class to sign early, and there are a lot of these guys that are committed to TCU may still be holding out hope for some bigger offer that they think may be out there and and wait until that national signing day into February. And 
what we're seeing here this year is this is the big offer that getting the, getting this opportunity at TCU for all of these guys is is the top place to be um and so that's that's really where where you want to be um is a lot of guys who really want to be here and really want to go to work to to keep this thing rolling for Sunny Dykes and the Horn Frogs and uh you know the tra- it's it's really showing in the transfer portal too i mean this this transfer portal class is kind of a dream i think you know going into all right here are some names that are co- starting to starting to come out in the transfer portal here are some names if you had put together a wish list i'm not sure you you probably say these names and think like maybe we get one of these guys maybe this is you know um and i guess just to to go back through the names here on the transfer portal um because <laughs> it's it's really something i mean th- these guys we've got jojo earl and tommy brockermeyer from alabama uh both local fort worth north texas guys who again coming from alabama they were five star high four star guys uh big big time recruits and i don't know Exactly. I, I think they are players who Alabama would have liked to have continued to have on their roster. This is not like you're not hearing Alabama fans saying like good riddance. Um, who cares about those guys? I think these are these are real contributors. Um, then next, the the wide receiver tight end Jack Beck from LSU um, is had a huge freshman season. Incredible freshman year was a breakout, didn't really catch on, had kind of injuries in and out of the lineup uh, this past season. And then uh, corner from Florida, Avery Helm, um, also just a, a contributor and again at a at a key position. I think talking about the recruiting class com- combined with this, um, this transfer portal class, there's... I don't, I don't know how much better things could have shaken out. Um, and I guess what, what are the weaknesses that these two combined kind of leave standing for the frogs? Yeah. Real quick, before I get into that, I'll just go ahead and list all the, the three-star guys that TCU did. Oh yeah. Just for the, just for the sake of, uh, putting it out, get their names out there for sure. Names out there. For those who don't know, we got Zach Chapman from Fort Ben Marshall, Kavion Huddleston from Chapel Hill, Lafayette Cayue, a tight end from Sam Houston, Kylan Salter, Cedar Hill, Rohan Fuellen from Gilmer, Jonathan Bax from Edna Carr out of New Orleans, Louisiana, Jordan Bailey, we just talked about him from Denton Ryan, Vernon Glover Jr. from Dickinson, uh, Ben Taylor Whitfield from Duncanville, Cooper Powers, we talked about him, one of the offensive linemen, uh, Jordan Lester, a safety prospect from Horn, as well as Narado Stoker. Breon Ramsey Brooks and Mason White. So a lot of local talent of the 23 guys that were signed. 19 of them are from Texas high schools. They're Texas products. Um, few of those guys out of state, but uh, a lot of Texas talent staying home is something that's notable to me. And then also, you know, we saw this last year too with some transfers and some recruits that TC was able to pull off some flips. Um, last year on guys and 
I don't think TCU really got flipped itself very much. And that was, again, kind of the theme this week. There was only one player that decommitted. It was Montana Warren, who was a three-star safety, committed early on in the process. He is now signed with Arizona State. Is that a surprise? Probably not, because that is where Brian Carrington is now. He just left TCU staff to go over there. So the the first Brian Carrington flip has has happened, but the uh, TCU has not seen a whole lot of that since the the staffing change. So to to get this many guys locked in is is certainly huge. And I think when we talk about strengths and weaknesses, and if you I don't even know if it's a weakness, but there there is not a quarterback in this class and. Sonny Dykes talked about that during the press conference, and I think not adding a quarterback in this class, and Sonny talked about how they, they did make some offers to some guys, and they, they did go after some. It's not like they just avoided the position. I think there's a good deal of confidence in Chandler Morris and Sam Jackson. TCU also has Josh Hoover, who was a three-star quarterback from last year's class. So there's a lot of young talent in the quarterback room right now. Obviously, Max Duggan has declared for the NFL draft, so he will be leaving unless he uh, shocks the world and decides to come back. But I think he's, I think he gone after the after the playoff, and we'll probably talk about that more at a later time. But um, I think if TCU does add a quarterback to the roster next year, it will be through the portal and. I don't think it'll be a Hudson card kind of guy. I think it'll be someone who could compete in camp, but probably serve as a backup, kind of like a Matt Jokel kind of guy who can come in and be a, a number two or number three on the depth chart, but push the younger guys and um, foster some growth. Yeah, there. I mean, I, I'll tell you that the Matt Jokel comp, though, you know, everybody thought Matt Jokel was coming in to just take that job. That 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 he was coming from A and M. He was the oh, he backed up Johnny Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, and that he was going to come in and just be that starter. Um, and it it turned out it was it was Boykin all along. You know, maybe maybe Hudson Card is that where oh, we think he's coming in and he's going to come and take over, and it turns out Chandler Morris was was that guy all along. I, but yeah, I think, I think you're on the right track there of not clearly TCU didn't just add a high school quarterback just for the sake of having one in the class. They, they went after some top guys um, who chose to go elsewhere and they, they didn't settle for something that wasn't going to, to meet the need. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe they bring in somebody. Um, there's obviously still some, some big names in the transfer marketplace. Um, but I think it, it does continue to speak to the faith that this staff has in, in Morris and in Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then linebacker, I think is a, another position that could be a, a little bit of a, a weakness just by lack of depth, perhaps because looking at TCU's roster right now, uh, D Winters is going to the NFL. I think there's no doubt. I think he's absolutely going to get drafted. Uh, Marcel Brooks is gone unless he decides to use a COVID year because he's a senior and he played 
in more than four games, so I don't believe he can redshirt. Um, if if Brooks comes back, obviously that's huge. You'll have Jamoy Hodge, you'll have Johnny Hodges, you'll have Shattered Banks, but not a whole lot behind them. I know they have Terrence Cooks, who was the Texas transfer linebacker who came in last year, but uh, looking at this class, other than Kylan Salter, the three-star from Cedar Hill, he's the only linebacker. So uh, I mentioned Max Carroll earlier, who's a bigger prospect at 6'3", really good athlete, recruited as an athlete. Maybe that's someone they could look at at linebacker. They have a lot of safeties in this class, and I think that's a, a strength when we look at this class, four safeties, and if Warren Roberson signs, that's five. So perhaps you look at a couple of those guys and bulk them up, uh, move them down to linebacker, and they can be kind of those hybrid safety linebackers that have uh, really excelled at TCU in the past. Um, but linebacker, I think, is something where I I hope to see a little bit more depth in, in the future, but uh, strengths for this class, you have four offensive linemen who were signed in this class, so you're going to have a lot more depth up there. Um, Wes Harris, I believe, is a sixth-year senior, so I think he's done after this year. Steve Avila, I think, is going to go to the draft. I think he's going to get drafted as well as Alana Lee. So you're looking at potentially losing three starters on the offensive line. So pretty important they get some more offensive linemen into the program. And then, like I said, four safeties and three cornerbacks. So that's seven defensive backs in total. Um, You're likely going to lose Travis Hodges Tomlinson to the draft. Noah Daniels is a sixth-year player, so he's going to be gone. You have a couple guys like Keon Stewart and Keontae Jenkins, who can potentially compete for that number two corner spot. I'm assuming Josh Newton will be back to be your number one corner, but there's going to be a lot of competition, good competition for reps to get onto the two deep um, between Stewart and Jenkins and the two Juco corners, Channing Canada and Mason White, who were just signed and all the corners who were signed in this class. In addition to Avery Helm, the corner from Florida. So uh, the secondary is going to be in really good hands with with TCU. And then on the defensive line, you added three defensive linemen and two edge rushers. So we've talked at times throughout the year about the lack of a pass rush. Hopefully they can start developing some of these young edge rushers to, to get some more pressure on the quarterback. And then, as I mentioned before, with some of those guys who are going to be transitioning out, Dylan Horton, Terrell Cooper, others, uh, start beefing up with some younger guys on that D-line a little bit. Yeah, I think the one I, – I, w- I would love to see how they're, they plan to to use some of these guys, especially you have to think some of those safeties may try to, to bulk up and drop down as a, as a linebacker. But I think on the other side, I think especially looking at uh, Jonathan Bax from New Orleans, he kind of – profiles as as somebody who's more of the linebacker's size mm-hmm. and and style of play than than alignment in this uh this 335 system. So I can I can see him developing into to a linebacker type um and just just because th- that's not something and, and maybe that's not what Gillespie and and this defense is going to try to do, but his skill set off the edge is 
uh, is maybe a little more of a linebacker style than a uh, a power uh, push him over and fill a gap style um, on a line. So I, I kind of can see him dropping back more. I don't know what his you know coverage skills might be. Uh, obviously, coming in into the system, uh, coaching staff will figure that all out. But um, a lot of a lot of strength on spots of need brought in a lot of talent. Um, just, just an impressive, I mean, we talk about strengths and weaknesses. It's hard because you start comparing this to recruiting classes that the frogs have had in the past. And um, this is just, it's better than all of those. So it's hard to say, well, this is, this is a big weakness where we've got this big hole that that's not being filled. Well, you're, you're just getting a lot of talent into the program. Um, and you kind of can't beat that kind of skill. I mean, I think TCU fans have a lot of like stars don't matter, mm-hmm. uh, in our, in our blood, uh, for, for many years, but we know that bringing in talent is, is going to lead to success on the field. So, um, pretends good things for the future. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is obviously we're not going to know for sure what players are staying, what players are going in the draft, and what players are going to hit the portal until after the college football playoff is over. Um, but part of me believes with with 23 recruits and four transfers as of now, that's 27 new players that could potentially, even as much as 28 if Warren Roberson signs, um, 28 players potentially coming into your program next year. That's a healthy amount of players when you look at some of these other class sizes. So perhaps that means there's going to be uh, some phasing out of maybe veteran guys who haven't gotten a lot of run or uh, a lot of guys that are going to be declaring for the draft. We'll see, but it's a, it's a good problem to have. And I think any competition, you, you want as much competition for positions as you can. Um, even Sonny Dyke said there, there's going to be a quarterback competition just like there was this year. So, uh, as much as we'd like to, to believe that Chandler Morris could be the front runner to be the starter, they're going to compete until, you know, the first week of the season, like they did this year. So, um, a, a wealth of talent. And I guess we'll, uh, dive into some of these transfers right now. You talked about Tommy Brockermeyer and and JoJo Earl, these are two Alabama guys that are coming to play for TCU. Uh, could we have said that five or ten years ago? Absolutely not. But five or ten months ago? Five or ten months ago? Yeah. Absolutely. You know what Sonny Dyke said six weeks ago? Some of these recruits they weren't returning their phone calls, and then TCU made the yep. college football playoff and made a, a deep run into the into the season, and then those those calls become a little bit more important. That's just kind of the it's the nature of the business of, of college football and where we are now with immediate eligibility and NIL and all that jazz. But um, Tommy Brockermeyer is – he and JoJo Earl are both blue-chip players. Tommy Brockermeyer was a five-star, the number two offensive tackle in the country in the class of 2021. He has a twin brother who's still an offensive lineman at Alabama, an older brother who's a linebacker at Texas – and he played at All Saints Episcopal in Fort Worth. So he's a hometown kid, played two years at Alabama, didn't get a whole lot of run, but is going to get an opportunity now 
to play right away. I mentioned that there are going to be a few starters on TCU's offensive line that are likely going to be leaving, whether it's for the draft or just not having any eligibility remaining. Um, Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker, I believe, are both going to be back because they'll both, I think, benefit from another year. Um, but Brandon Coleman also has experience playing left guard. He's kind of played all over the line. So I think Brocker Meyer's a, a tackle. He can come in and compete for a, a tackle spot, or you could probably kick him inside the guard. We saw TCU kick Garrett Hayes inside to guard. He was a big-time four-star recruit at uh, at the tackle position, and I think he's going to be someone that has a chance to come in and start right away next year. So uh, Tommy Brockermeyer is a huge addition. And then JoJo Earl, being a, a smaller receiver, about 5'10", I think, a lot of speed, has played uh, played two seasons at Alabama, as well as from Alito High School, big-time four-star recruit. Um, over two years, 24 catches for 303 yards, two touchdowns, both came this year. Uh, I think he had a, a few injuries, maybe. Just didn't get a whole lot of run uh, with the Tide. But this is a guy who I think, with Tay Barber and Darius Davis both being fifth-year seniors that used COVID years, um, they're both going to be done, I believe, after this season. So those are your number one and number two H-slot guys that are going to be out. I think JoJo Earl is the kind of player who can come in and start right away at that H slot position and you can use him on special teams. You can be creative with him on offense, use him in a similar way that you use someone like a Darius Davis. Um, assuming he can stay healthy and, and play at a high level, I think he's going to be a huge addition to the offense along with uh, Tommy Brockmeyer. Yeah. You have to think Earl steps in right away as like a, almost a one for one replacement for Davis of, He'll be returning kicks, punts, um, or at least have the opportunity to, um, and step in in that that slot role and kind of the do everything gadget guy as well. So you, you can you can send them in the running game, the short pass game, the long pass game, um, and yeah, he he definitely flashed at Alabama and took a little bit of a step back as I guess maybe all of Alabama took a little bit of a step back this year. Um, but had had a really uh, a few breakout games as a true freshman and kind of yeah never really got fully untracked there but um yeah bringing in players off of Nick Saban's roster into into TCU you love to see it yeah Jack Beck and Avery Helm are also SEC guys that's so four all all four of these guys are SEC guys take that for what it's worth but uh Jack Beck is an interesting prospect because he was actually recruited as a tight end out of high school. He was a four-star recruit. He's from Louisiana. He spent time at both tight end and wide receiver as a freshman. Had a really nice freshman season with um, just just over 400 yards. Um, throughout his career at LSU, had 59 receptions for 689 yards, four touchdowns. Got a little distracted with my stats there for a second. I was like, am I looking at this correct? But yeah, he's uh, a guy who played tight end and wide receiver as a freshman and then transitioned to being primarily just a wide receiver this year. Um, didn't get as much run. I think he had 16 catches for 200 yards this year, but is a, a bigger receiver at 6'2", 215 pounds, uh, former four-star, like I said, and I think this is someone that 
could potentially step in next year as a like a Y slot guy. Right now you have Joquarius Spivey there. You have DeAndre Rogers there as a former four-star tight end. It's kind of that hybrid uh, tight end wide receiver slot in the offense right now. We've seen Pro Wells take on that role uh, in recent years. So he could be someone. Joquarius Spivey is a redshirt senior. So unless he uses a COVID year, he's done. Uh, Jared Wiley's a senior. So unless he uses a COVID year, he's done. If you choose to keep DeAndre Rogers at tight end, maybe you slide Jack Beck into the into the starting lineup as your Y slot receiver. So I think he'll make a he'll have a chance to make an immediate impact. And then Avery Helm, the corner from Florida, uh three years at Florida was also a former four star recruit, has started quite a few games over the last two years. Obviously Florida's program is uh down tremendous at the moment after getting destroyed by Oregon State in the bowl game. Um, this is a player, though, that has a lot of experience, is a, a bigger corner. I think he's 6'1", got got some size, so going to have a chance to come in and compete right away. I expect him to at least be on the two deep at the corner position. Whether or not he's a starter, that remains to be seen. It's going to be a dogfight to see who that other starter is going to be across from Josh Newton, but uh, a really solid addition to the class and someone who is a, a good tackler and is going to have a chance to come in like all these other guys and start right away. And yeah, I, I talked about it a little bit before, but man, I really like Jack Beck. I think he's, he's not going to be your traditional, like in line tight end. He's, he's the guy you run out on your blocking downs. Um, not really a true one for one Jared Wiley type replacement, but he's, he's got the route running with a, a, a good amount of size um, to he'll definitely play a role um, in a big way for the frogs going forward. And like you said with Helm, I mean, y- you don't really know until these guys come in. I mean, uh, we didn't really know who Josh Newton was until, I don't know, the Carter boys uh, first episode, uh, you know, I mean, he, he just kind of came out of nowhere from Louisiana Monroe and, and, became an all-conference guy. So um, that's that's what you're looking for out of these transfers. And uh, Sonny Dykes and this coaching staff has had huge success um, going and getting transfers and deploying them on game days. So um, I have to think with these this high level of talent that you're bringing in from the transfer that you're just living even, even better in that case. I mean, it's... Um, the the expectations will be very high for for all of these guys going into next season, mm-hmm. and there are still some transfers out there that could wind up joining this class before National Signing Day. One of them is Chris Marshall, and that's a big name for people who have watched and followed Texas high school football. He's a former five star receiver uh, from the class last year. Was one of the many big time prospects that signed with Texas A and M. Played one season with Texas A&M, hit the portal like a lot of their players have. Uh, the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher in mass exodus mode at the moment. But this is a bigger receiver at 6'3". Um, looking at his Twitter right now, he's got his uh, picture from his TCU visit and his banner in the frog uniform. And then he's got a picture from his Ole Miss visit in his avatar. So 
could be a coin flip there. Not really sure what to think of that, but if the Frogs are able to land him, that's a, another huge addition to the roster. And then a couple of uncommitted four-star recruits to watch out for, Mikhail Harrison Pilot and Jelani McDonald. Both of these guys are big-time four-star recruits. Uh, McDonald and Pilot, I believe, are both being recruited as athletes. And they're both playing in the All-American game on January 7th, where they're both going to announce their decisions. So January 7th will be a semi-important date for Frog fans who need something to do. Tune into the high school All-American game and figure out where these two guys are going to go. I think it's between TCU and Houston for Mikhail Harrison Pilot. Um, Coach, uh, Coach Kelly and Coach Riley have been recruiting him. And then Jelani McDonald, I think it's TCU in Texas. He was an Oklahoma State commit. He decommitted, I believe, a, a month or so ago. And it, it seems to be TCU or Texas for for him. So a, a lot of the heavy lifting done already, like we said before, but still some really talented football players out there, uncommitted transfer guys that TCU could add before that February deadline. Just a couple names here to hit on real quick. I know Javon Thomas, the four-star corner who's signed with Texas A&M, made a little bit of noise for South Oak Cliff at the state championship game, was wearing the TCU gloves. He did visit TCU the weekend of December 9th and then visited A&M the following weekend. Um, might have gotten a little bit more guap from the Aggies to to stick there, but uh, a big player that... And, and, and yeah, he... He had to wear the he had to wear the TCU gloves to make sure they won the state mm-hmm. championship. So you know he can he can go do his losing in in College Station now and now that he he's gotten whatever bag from down there now. It, but you know they they went out and won that game and he had to he had to wear the TCU gloves to make sure that yeah. happened. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's Breon Ramsey Brooks and and Narado Stoker that brought the there you go they were the ones who made that South happen. Cliff. but yeah Javon Thomas was a guy that. Could have been a big-time flip for, for TCU. And also Trey Wilson, the defensive lineman from Lakeview Centennial, who's signed with Baylor now. I think there was some talk that maybe he might flip, but he is signed with Baylor. So um, pretty much the vast majority of the recruiting, I think, for this class is is done for TCU. Like we said, a few names still out there, but um, a lot of the groundwork is done. I think some of these coaches now are probably going to start really honing in on the Fiesta Bowl. Not that they haven't been, but I think we got to get into playoff mode now. And then you have most of January going into that February 1st deadline to uh, take care of whatever remaining business you got to take care of. Yeah, definitely uh, plenty on the mind of, of the TCU coaching staff. A lot going on. It's crazy how the the college football calendar all kind of converges on itself right here in December around the holiday. There's just so much going on. Um, looks like uh, Armed Forces Bowl just went final. So Baylor falls in Fort Worth yet again uh, to Air Force. So it's not great for my uh, my bowl mania picks, but uh, that's what I get for for believing in oh, the Bears. You, yeah, you can't pick Baylor at TCU Stadium. Uh, it was a now. low confidence. I put, I put a low confidence on it. It's Gosh, okay. They, they um, lose their they lose their quarterback to Oregon, <laughs> and they lose Kyron Drones, and they lose the Armed Forces Bowl. Yeah, I I'd hate to be 
in that bandwagon <laughs> right now. Sucks to be you. Yeah, T- tough time for the Bears. We really feel bad for them. Um, looking at a little bit of the, the Big 12, just it, it spoke about it kind of at the start, but um, you know, the Longhorns end up at number three overall, um, I think, in the composite. And then Oklahoma Sooners are five overall. And then it drops down to TCU next at 18. Um, so still, you know, this is the way it has always gone, especially for Texas. No matter the results on the field, they're still going to get those star players. And those star players are going to d- disappoint once they get on the field. Um, but both of them got, obviously, big-time quarterback recruits, Arch Manning, certainly for uh, for Texas and Jackson Arnold for Oklahoma. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much of that talent gets deployed right away um, in this, what may potentially be their last year in the Big 12. Um, I think one to watch out for in the Big 12, and I'm pulling up now to see where they wound up. So Kansas State ended up fifth in the Big 12, um, but with with 26 recruits, one of which is a pretty significant four-star quarterback, I think Kansas State is going to continue to be uh, a very scary team in this conference. Um, so, And I don't think there's any reason to believe that they're going to take a drop-off after uh, winning the, the 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 Big Twelve championship this year, um, Baylor fell to sixth. With yeah, they 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 lost a bunch here at the end. Losing their big time quarterback recruit is just a killer. Um, they're they're in bad shape and may need to really chase the transfer portal for a quarterback. Um, let's see, Texas Tech ended up ahead of them at fourth. Um, a lot of that was that early momentum. They they really hit the ground running in Joey McGuire's first year, closes out here of the Big 12, West Virginia, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Kansas, uh, <laughs> rounding out the bottom. Uh, only 12 commits here for, for the Jayhawks. That's that's not good. I mean, they're, this this was a pretty successful season for them, and it seems like they're maybe not capitalizing on it. Maybe they'll bring in a bunch of transfer portal stuff there, mm-hmm. but... Uh, just wanted to close out a little bit on the Big 12. Yeah, it could be some transfer portal guys or even maybe just a lack of roster turnover. Maybe they have a lot of young guys that are going to be coming back next year and they're not going to be graduating much. Oklahoma State is also in a bit of a tough spot right now. They just lost their their stud linebacker, I believe, is gone. Um, name is slipping my mind. I apologize. But they also lose Spencer Sanders and... I'm I'm really interested to see how Oklahoma State moves forward because they've always been a quality team in the Big 12. I'm really curious to see why they have dropped that far in the in the recruiting circle, but um, could be a a lot yeah. of unknowns for them. I'll say they're doing a pretty good job on the transfer portal, bringing in guys as well. So they're they're losing a lot of talent. Mm-hmm to the portal, but they're bringing guys in too. I mean, um, I saw Dijon Stribling, the receiver from Washington state's a really talented guy. Um, I think that's, he'll be, he'll be awesome right away. He'll, he'll be somebody we don't want to see on the field. I mean, he's going to be scary. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they'll, 
I mean, yeah, to end up just ahead of Kansas in the Big 12 recruiting rankings, that's not where you want to be um, for Oklahoma State. They're taking a little bit of a step back there, for sure. I think the the average, when you look at classes, it's one thing, but what I found interesting, I saw a tweet about this earlier about uh, what the average rating is per recruit, like taking the total number of players and dividing it by what the the total combined rating is out of 100. I want to say TCU, in what would be the new Big 12, had the number one rating of average rating per recruit. I think it was just under 89 out of 100. But what was interesting to me was the Big 12 was really even you had a lot of schools that were very close to each other in the 86 to 88 range. So I think that goes to show that the recruiting is actually pretty balanced, I guess you can say. I mean, some schools I think are going to add more than others on any given year, but when you look at average rating per recruit and you see how close it is, it's kind of a reflection of, how the conference has gone this year and that they're just, there's so much parity and you can't take a week off in the conference. We've talked about it so many times. And um, I think some of that's going to transfer over into recruiting once Texas and Oklahoma leave and these new schools come in, you're going to see a really competitive, not that it isn't competitive already, but an even more competitive battle on the recruiting grounds. Yeah, I just pulled up the average star rate or average rating here on 24-7. And in new Big 12, BYU's would be the lowest at 85.23. And then next would be Kansas at 85.96. And then Oklahoma State at 85.97. So Oklahoma State is literally (laughs) 0.01. Ahead of Kansas they, they had on the average average rating, a couple more reps than yeah. another one, and that made the difference. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. To, to your point, I mean, there's not going to be a lot of separation. It's it's going to be a very entertaining conference going forward. Um, of course, with TCU at the top. All right, I think that's all on recruiting. Anything else on recruiting before we quickly touch on basketball? I think we pretty much covered everything, just kind of hoping for the best down the stretch with these remaining few guys. Hopefully they choose TCU. If not, you know, best of luck wherever they go. And um, looking forward to the playoff. And then once the playoff's over with, we got to figure out who's who's going pro, who's staying, and who's going. There's going to be a, a lot of movement when, when that goes down, so – We'll, we'll be on it. We all, we've been on it uh, over the last several weeks, and we're going to continue to be on it. So just con- interested to see how this roster continues to evolve. Yeah, so just quickly, um, the other night, TCU basketball went on the road. I think it qualifies as a neutral site game at the uh, in, in Salt Lake City at the Utah Jazz Arena there. Uh, took on the Utah Utes. And took them down 75-71 in a game that they pretty much controlled most of the way. Um, I'm not sure how many TCU fans were able to catch any of this as it was on the Pac-12 Mountain, uh, which I guess is a 
cable channel. I don't know. I don't. The Pac-12 is is barely a conference, so uh, <laughs> their 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 TV rights it doesn't it doesn't matter. But um, yeah, I did not. I, I got to watch maybe two minutes of it while the Pac-12 lets you watch a little free preview before you have to sign in with. Uh, you know, some West coast to log in, but uh, listen to some of this on the radio and mostly seems like TCU basketball is really uh, rounding into form as the, as the conference schedule or non-conference schedule closes out ahead of um, new year's Eve against Texas tech to open the big 12 schedule. Um, Did you catch any of this Russ? What, what, What did you see from, from the frogs on, uh, I guess Wednesday night. I caught a little bit. I followed along. It was a game, like you said, um, a couple instances where it was tied. Early in the game, it was tied 13-13. TCU had a, a six-point lead at halftime, and I, or I was about to say Iowa. Utah, different state, four letters. Um, Utah did rally briefly in the second half to tie the score, but then the, the the biggest key in this game for TCU was defensively forcing turnovers. Utah had 19 turnovers in this game. The Frogs were able to get out and run. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well. I think they shot 44% from the field, 31% from three. And then they struggled from the free throw line, which they it's kind of one of their bugaboos. They went 12 for 19, 63%. But when you're able to outscore the other team 23 to 10 and points off turnovers and 16 to four on fast break points, you're getting a lot of easy baskets. So when you can capitalize on those, you're going to have a good chance to win. Um, Gabe Madsen was the only player for Utah who could really do anything. He was on fire from three point range. He hit seven of them. He took almost all of his shots from three and he actually hit one late in the game to make it a four point game. But TCU had Jacoby Cole step up, at the end of the game, he was 6-for-6 six six from the free throw line down the stretch coming off the bench. So that was huge, especially considering he didn't make a field goal. So to have a kind of a rough shooting night and go 6-for-6 six six at the free throw line is a, a big confidence booster. Mike Miles had 18 points. Emmanuel Miller was so solid in this game all the way around. Had 21 points, 7 rebounds on 9-of-14 shooting has really improved from three-point range and came in already with such a sound fundamental skill set. He plays really well out of the low post. He's got great footwork, good touch around the basket. But in a a year where you don't have Francisco Farabello anymore, you bring in Rondell Walker, who frankly hasn't really done anything yet this year, you, you have a tendency to struggle big time from the perimeter if guys like O'Bannon and Miles are not shooting the ball well. So for another guy like Emmanuel Miller to knock down multiple three-point shots, if he can do that consistently, that's a game changer for TCU on the offensive end. But um, overall, this is a game where TCU, I think, maybe once or twice got out to a double-digit lead, maybe 10 points. But despite having kind of a slight lead, it was I don't think it was ever really in doubt. TCU had pretty much a six to eight point lead throughout most of this game and closed it out uh, fairly well at the free throw line with Jacoby Cole stepping up there. Yeah. Frogs also had a win uh, since we last talked on Sunday afternoon against 
Mississippi Valley State. Uh, pretty forgettable in that TCU ran out and won by 45 points. Uh, the Delta Devils, Delta Demons. Anyway, they are uh, one of the like three worst teams in Ken Palm. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe the worst team in all of college basketball. So uh, good to get the win, I guess, and and uh, you know get some exercise out there. But it, not being flipped, the Frogs played really well. Um, shot fifty percent from three pointers. Started off six of six three pointers in that game. Um, really defended well, did not allow a single three-point basket from MVSU in that one. Um, just kind of a an easy performance, but uh, Mike Miles looked amazing. He was he was doing crazy things out there, um, and everybody was shooting the ball really great. So um, kind of like we've said since the first couple games, it's good to see them going out there and just having a good time playing well, playing as a team. Um, you, you didn't really see that in those first few games where struggling with teams in that sub-300 Kempom area and including a loss to Northwestern State. So um, they've got one coming up against Central Arkansas uh, next Wednesday, the 28th, 4 p.m. back in Shawmire, and that will close out the non-conference schedule. So opportunity to move to 11-1 and in the non-conference, already up to number 20 in the AP poll, um, and likely to, to climb beyond that just with this Utah win. Um, and then then the big one. I mean, that New Year's Eve is just going to be a, a pretty incredible day of, of TCU sports. You've got um, Texas Tech in Schollmeyer, uh to open the Big 12 basketball schedule for the Horned Frogs and then uh, watching the Fiesta Bowl at night, I guess right after, immediately after. So, um, looking forward to that next week. We'll, uh, our podcast, will be talking all the Michigan stuff, that big Fiesta bowl college football playoff semifinal. Um, we've had all kinds of previews on the website. So if you haven't been reading those, we'll keep churning those out for you, uh, through this week. Um, otherwise, thanks for following us. Uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, everywhere you find podcasts. Um, And really just have a great holiday. Enjoy your family. Enjoy time off of work. um, And enjoy this time before uh, the the big stress of this football game we've all got coming up. The the anticipation is building, that's for sure. And, yeah, like you said, continue to, to subscribe to us, follow us. We appreciate all the support. Uh, definitely means a lot. We're approaching 21,000 uh, followers on Twitter. Facebook following has been tremendous. We appreciate all the comments and uh, dialogue on the website, on our articles. We'll have some more Michigan content coming up next week. Like Anthony said, we're going to talk about it in depth on the podcast next week, and then it'll it'll be here before we know it. I'm I'm planning on heading back to my my parents' house. We're going to have a little bit of a get together. I think some neighbors are going to come over and. Uh, hopefully going to have a, a big time. I mean, we're going to party either way, but uh, let's hope it's going to be <laughs> uh, a special party. Oh, yes, a fiesta, no doubt. All right. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll see you before the new year, and go, go Frogs. Frog.